Welcome, Establish Disciple Making Group, to Lesson 8 of Covenant. We are going to give this a shot from our own locations, listening in. I uh, hope this works out well. Um, let's just open our time of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can continue to grow and learn from your word, Lord, even though many of us are um, on our own today. God, we thank you that your presence is known in all places, Lord, that we um, can gather together and worship you, uh, and we can worship you uh, in our homes, in our rooms. And Lord, I just pray that as we dive into this lesson on the tabernacle, that you will reveal new truths about yourself to us, um, that you will refresh that sense of awe of you and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, just to recap a review of last week, uh, as we talked about um, the Ten Commandments, um, Moses talked to the people and unanimously they said, uh, we will do all that God has spoken. They thought that whatever God asked, they could do it perfectly. Um, perhaps they were pridefully blind. Um, either way, uh, it was an ignorant statement. Um, God gave them the Ten Commandments, uh, not expecting that they could clean themselves up uh, using them, uh, abiding by them, but to expose their sin and their helplessness. God's aim in giving them the Ten Commandments, again, wasn't to weigh them down, but to point them to Him and His rescue plan once they realized how helpless indeed they were. These Ten Commandments, uh, following them, could never make them or us perfect, couldn't make us holy, or couldn't make us acceptable before God. It's four o'clock. <laughs> Just like a mirror reflects dirt on our faces, uh, the mirror can't be used to clean the dirt off our faces. Same too, we'd never swallow a thermometer to take away a fever. We can't follow the Ten Commandments to take away our sin. They should drive us to God uh, to come to him his way uh, by repentance and faith in the Deliverer uh, to deal with our sin. So in today's lesson, uh, we'll see how well Israel does in keeping their new covenant as they claim they would. We'll hear of God's perfect and holy judgment, his love and grace towards sinners who fail to uphold uh, what they said they would. Um, and we'll dive into uh, a great... Um, Part of the Old Testament, which is the tabernacle. Um, God gave Moses specific instructions uh, for the people to build a place for him to dwell, uh, for his presence to come down in a very special way. And uh, within that, there were very um, detailed instructions for things to build, where to place them. Um, there was something called the Ark of the Covenant that would contain the Ten Commandments. Um, this is where the sacrificial system was, uh, was articulated and, and um, explained in great detail. And, uh, and there was something called an altar, which we've heard before up to this point in our lessons. But uh, here we have an altar where the sacrifices are often placed and burnt for God. So the hook is God's presence with his chosen people. Uh, we're in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and we'll also uh, spill over into Leviticus, which is the third book of the Bible, uh, and it deals a lot with sacrifices, uh, the priests, and uh, purity or cleanliness uh, of people. 
Um, and uh, what else here? So as we dive into part one, <clears throat> um, well, Mount Sinai, God had laid out the rules of how they were to approach him and how they were to live and govern themselves. We, today, we still have these Ten Commandments, a clear written form of the terms of the covenant of God that he made with his chosen people. And this is what will be called the law for the Israel nation. God then reveals to Moses that he intends to dwell or live with them in a special way with the nation of Israel. And I took this next uh, little quote here from thegospelproject.com. Uh, if you search, the tabernacle was built. Uh, they, they put it in a really concise way here, so I'll just read it out here. As the children of Israel continued their trek through the wilderness, God gave Moses very specific instructions for how to build a tabernacle or a tent. This tabernacle would be where God's presence would dwell with his people within the Holy of Holies and there and also be where, where the people would offer sacrifices and worship. Now, the building of the tabernacle was incredibly important within the context of the Exodus alone. The tabernacle showed Israel that God is a condescending God, or put another way, that in his kindness, God comes down to us and meets us where we are. We saw this in Genesis chapter 2, where God would come down to Adam and Eve and walk with them in the garden. And we see it here where God comes down to be in relationship with his people. The tabernacle also gave Israel a context by which God would deal with their perpetual sin. End quote. So, you could continue to think upon why you think God wanted to dwell with Israel um, in this special way. Some things that come to my mind is God's kindness, his goodness. Um, and of course, it's part of his sovereign plan to progressively reveal himself and to meet humanity where they are, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, if you would turn with me uh, in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, to chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. It says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. I sent you a link in the email uh, called The Tabernacle Was Built, if you want to read greater detail uh, from the Gospel Project. Take note that this tabernacle, uh, this tent, is a shadow of God coming down again in the future in a much better, glorious way to deal with sin and rescue people completely. Um, it dives into God's holiness, being totally, utterly holy, and the power of that. And that God is clearly establishing that sinful people, even his chosen people, can only approach him his way. Uh, otherwise, there are dire consequences. It is interesting as well to think about how God can be uh, present in a special way in one place. And yet, as we've already learned before, he's everywhere present. God is spirit. He fills the heavens and the earth. Um, he isn't confined by our understanding of space. Um, but as we said um, from that Gospel Project quote in Genesis 2, we do see from his communion with Adam and Eve, he had a special presence with them before the fall. And, uh, and with God's chosen people, here, the Israelites, he was going to have a special presence among them uh, at the tabernacle. Um, 
So even though God would dwell with them in a tabernacle, it's not in the same sense that we need a house to dwell in. God doesn't, and, and today doesn't either, need a place of shelter like we do. Although he would dwell there, he still remained everywhere present at the same time. Uh, it's just he was there in a special way, as we've said. So the tabernacle construction, I'll spare the reading of the entire, uh, where it's covered in the entire, uh, the entire detail in the Bible. From It's covered in Exodus chapter 25, verse 10, uh, through to Exodus uh, 40, verse 38. Uh, we'll condense it as we, as we go through the lesson here. So that verse, Exodus 25, verses uh, 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So he gives a picture of a, of a special tent that he wanted Israel to build. Not only a picture, but instructions how to do it. Um, and even its position in the camp, which is right in the middle, uh, as stated in the book Numbers, chapter 2, verse 17. The design of the tabernacle even allowed them to transport it as they traveled to Canaan. If you click on the second link um, that I sent you, it's about two minutes. It's a virtual tour of the tabernacle uh, called the 3D Tabernacle of Moses. Click on that now, uh, pause this, and then come back when you're done. So let's think about a few key details. For starters, God had offensive curtains built around uh, the tabernacle, and the Israelite camp was kept a distance from it. The tabernacle had one entry point, and it was the gate, one gate. What do you guys think of the significance of there being a single point of entry? As you consider that, I'll just also say it was God who determined how and who um, would enter into his presence. There were rules about who could enter the courtyard and when they could enter. Just inside the gate, as you saw in that video, there's a bronze altar where the people would bring their sacrifices. Before sacrificing the animal, they would lay their hand on the head of the animal, symbolizing by faith in what God instructed, it was their substitute. The, their sins, um, in a sense, would be transmitted, not in a mystical way, but, but by faith in the system God outlined. So putting their hand on the head of the animal symbolized that. It was their substitute dying in place of them. And it was a temporary covering for their sin. Uh, just like we put the straw coverings over the sin debt ropes on the eternity chart, um, just the same as Adam and Eve uh, were given a covering by God and animal skins to cover themselves physically. Um, this animal was a temporary uh, atonement or uh, payment for their sin. As we go a little deeper, God had prepared his people with the gifts and skills to make all the items required. Gold and silver and gems from when they plundered Egypt during Exodus and craftsmen who could build the various parts of the tabernacle and all the furnishings. Uh, this is in Exodus 31 verses 1 to 11, chapter 35 verse 30 uh, to 36 verse 5. There were priests um, from the line of Aaron, Moses' brother, they were appointed people to minister in the tabernacle. Um, 
they had a role that they could approach God when Israel sinned with the appropriate offering through that one gate, that one door. What do you think about God asking Israel to make this elaborate tabernacle for him to dwell in? Why does it rub us wrong that God created this elaborate way for him to dwell with his people with just one entrance, um, this special people group? Do we believe that God wants to dwell with his people? Do we, do we believe that God wants to reveal himself to us even today? Remember that, that waste oil bottle filled with uh, molasses? This is how we look to God in our sin. And yet, he still desires to dwell with us. This is his amazing grace. Remember, God's grace is unmerited and boundless favor towards us. It originates solely within God. We contribute nothing. We can't. We're this dirty bottle. We can't clean ourselves up. And in God's grace, we owe nothing in return. God's grace is one-way love. It's boundless. It's undeserving. It's free. It's not based on anything that we do. It comes from God alone. We don't do anything, nor do we owe anything in return. It's amazing as we think of his graciousness, as he desires to dwell with us. But, again, how does he dwell with sinful people, a holy God who can't be in the presence of sin. Remember when he cast Satan out uh, of, of heaven uh, because he wanted God's glory, he wanted to be like God. God banished um, him in his sinfulness to earth. So here, how can God come down in this special way and dwell with sinful people? I mean, in the Garden of Eden, he, he was with Adam and Eve pre-fall in a special way, but now here we are uh, with fallen humanity, with uh, sinful people, and God was going to dwell with them. As we dive into the second part here, the purpose of sacrifice, it'll start to answer some of that for us. So God now has his physical dwelling place with Israel. However, to dwell with the sinful people, the wicked people, there were strict ritual offerings and sacrifices so that they could be in his presence. If you click on the third link that I sent you in an email, um, it's a summary on the book of Leviticus by the Bible Project, guys. Um, you can feel free to skip the, the part on the purity laws or watch the whole thing if you wish. It's about seven minutes long. You can pause now, watch that, and then come back. Don't you like how they explain God's holiness? Something to the effect of, it's like the sun, it's good, but to get too close to it, it's dangerous. God's holy presence is so good, it is dangerous. Um, it's not his wrath here, but it's just so good. It can be um, to our detriment as we approach it in an unholy manner. Uh, so God makes a way for sinful, wicked people to be in his presence, ritually clean. Um, he develops a system of rituals and sacrifices, different types, different animals. Um, we, we learn of the priesthood, uh, Aaron and his sons, um, who are allowed to enter the tent of meeting, um, ministering before God, being the middle middlemen mediating between Israel and God. 
so as you saw from that video, many of these sacrifices, even though uh, not all of them were animal related, many of them did require the death of an animal. The, the laying on hands onto the head of an animal uh, to have your sins uh, taken away or, or atoned for for a time. Um, a key verse and principle that needs to be understood is the following. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9.22. And you can also look at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, where it says that the, the life is in the blood. So it was the job of a priest um, to make these offerings on behalf of the people. Leviticus chapter 8 um, deals with or talks about Aaron and his sons who are consecrated and ordained as priests. They made all the required offerings and sacrifices. Um, if you look in chapter 8 of Leviticus, you can read... Um, about a bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, um, a ram of ordination, uh, placed, ha placing hands on the animal's head, a wave offering, bread without yeast. I think it's chapter 8. I might have that off. Sorry, the, the offering types were in Leviticus chapter 1. The ordination of the priests were Leviticus 8. And in Leviticus chapter 9, the priests begin their ministry. Aaron was to serve God as the head priest and his sons as priests. They received the daily sacrifices of 2.5, roughly, million Israelites and offered them to God on their behalf. As a result, they were this, this go-between mediator for the people in God. They made peace, in a sense, between a holy God and sinful people. Let's read in Leviticus on how the priests approached God on behalf of the people to receive mercy. In Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, this is the burnt offering. It says, If the burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect, he must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron and the priests are to put the fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's priests, or sorry, then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood. That is the that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So here is how they were to approach God. They had to approach at the entrance. The offering could be, as you read in the other following uh, verse 9 there, it could also be a sheep or a goat, but this one was a bull. They had to bring a male without blemish. They laid their hand on the animal. The owner killed the animal. The priest would throw the animal's blood against the side of the bronze altar, and the priest burnt 
uh, the priest burnt the offering for the owner. So we touched on this already, but again, remind yourself, why did they have to put their hand on the head of the substitute before killing it? I believe it was to show that the animal was dying in their place and to transfer their sin to it. Why did the death of another animal work? It was a system that God put in place and also because the lifeblood was in it, Leviticus 17.11. Remember that the payment for sin is death. Sin is death. God allowed a substitute to die in their place, a life for a life, but the animal's blood would just provide a covering, just like the straw and the sin debt rope, a forgiving of the sin, but not a total payment of the sin. Not until God's deliverer would come to make full payment. So this is a concept uh, called God's forbearance, his patient self-control or restraint from taking action until the, deliverers, uh, until the deliverer um, would come, his atoning death. So we now, a couple times we keep mentioning atonement. Um, there was a day of atonement that we speak of in the Bible here, um, where it says, or sorry, God had Aaron set aside one day a year where Aaron would approach him in all his glory to make a special offering. And it was called a day of atonement. It was a day to be at one, if you want a memory cue. It was a day to be at one with God, atone. So let's read Leviticus 16, verses 2 to 5 and 15. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die because I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And then verse 15. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, verse 16, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. What was the one way that Aaron could go behind the curtain to approach God? It says he had to bathe. He had to put on special priestly clothes. He had to kill or sacrifice the substitute animal. He brought the blood into the most holy place and put his hand in the blood to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This would atone uh, or provide a covering for Israel's sin for the past year and it would satisfy holy god it gave him or it gave them atonement or that at one moment with god concealing people's sin before holy god and this is how god provided mercy here 
Of course, the symbolism is connected. The symbolism connected with the Day of Atonement provided a powerful foreshadowing of the Deliverer, a death through which he both removed our sins from us and allowed his blood to be shed to make atonement for those sins. So God's response to the first offerings. Read Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. It says, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. This was no mere bolt of lightning that ignited a tree. It was a fire that came down from Almighty God. And the offering wasn't merely scorched, it was devoured. Consumed. I wonder if it looked like, um, or what it looked like actually. (laughs) Use your imaginations. A few verses later, as it goes into chapter 10 in Leviticus, it talks of uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, of how uh, they defied God by daring to approach him their way. And as a result, it says that a fire came out from Yahweh and consumed them, killing them. And it's no wonder that God can, calls himself a consuming fire. Can we come to God our own way, not following what he's outlined in his word? Or are we to come to God his way as outlined by faith and repentance in what he's outlined, his deliverer, one way. Put yourself in Aaron's place. Can you imagine working around all the blood and continual death? For those of you, maybe are some of you might be hunters. Think about it. How clean of an operation would this be for Aaron? He'd be covered in blood as well as his garments. And think of the heat, the stench. And the tabernacle was right there in the middle of the camp. Is this an image perhaps of how horrible our sin is to a holy God? Another picture of the stench of our sin before him? Think of the murder of Abel. Think of the catastrophic flood in Noah's time. Think of how fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah because of the stench of the sin there. At that time, Aaron and his sons represented part of the role of the Deliverer yet to come, the one who God would send to ultimately mediate between God and sinners. So against the hopelessness of sin, this system that God put in place, there is good news. As I said, it's a foreshadowing of more to come. A Deliverer is coming who will be our peace with God. He will be spotless and outside of God's wrath. He will be our substitute, becoming our sin in order to satisfy God's wrath for us. Just like the animals God required Israel to offer, the deliverer's blood uh, will play a part, a massive part for us, not only to cover, but to totally pay for our sin debt with God. Thinking back on the stories we've covered so far, What are some of the coverings of sin you can think of that we've taught on? 
Think of Adam and Eve and God clothing them after the fall. There was a substitute, an animal had to die. Their atonement for sin was death. So our deliverer, similarly, the same. Abel's offering, by faith, it satisfied God's wrath. As a result, he was accepted by holy God. How about God shutting Noah into the ark, or that, that big ship he asked him to build? By obeying God and, and having faith in the coming deliverer, the result was the ark took the brunt of God's fury, as you can imagine, the waves and, and the torrent of water that came from above and below. Noah was shut in by God with his family, safe and secure. So the deliverer, too, will shield those who come by repentance and faith. The payment for sin against God is death, shed blood one way or another. But God offers us a choice as to who must die, ourselves or his substitute, as he outlined in uh, this part of the Old Testament, Exodus and Leviticus. God's deliverer is willing to be our peace with God, even though it will cost him immensely. We'll learn more about this in our later lessons. So let's think about the animal sacrifices. They're definitely not a normal thing in our society today. We don't like to think about the need for a substitute sacrifice, about blood being shed, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, what do you think of the passage from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Are there ways today that we try to deal with sin ourselves, or we try to right our wrongs um, and make things totally better, even if that was possible. Pause here and, and think about that for a moment. As we continue into our third part, our final one for tonight, um, remember the hook, God's presence with his chosen people? Well, here we're going to dive into the, the specific, or more of the detail of his presence and his glory Remember, God made us for a special relationship, even though we don't deserve it. That's his grace. Uh, even though we, like the Israelites, continue to reject God and rebel against him. We know that God is a pursuer. We think of how he came down many times to people with Adam and Eve, with Cain, uh, with, Cain, with um, Noah and the people of the time as he spoke through uh, Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Um, again and again, God comes down in a special way to communicate, to pursue. And God continues to be present. Um, with the tabernacle, God makes a very real and tangible expression of this as he chooses to dwell with the people of Israel. Um, before the tabernacle is ready, God continues to meet with Moses. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 11, let's just read that. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. 
Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses meets face to face as one man with a friend. And then in Exodus 34, verse 29, it says, <laughs> when Moses, another time when he had met with God on the mountain, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Pretty amazing how Moses could, could meet with God and then he ends up getting this, this radiance about him for being, from being in, God's holy, being in God's holiness, in his presence, in his glory. So these are a couple examples of God continuing to meet with Moses before the tabernacle is built. The final chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, uh, we'll read a few verses starting at 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. So the tabernacle is built to the specifications requirement God laid out. God comes and dwells in the tabernacle. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't even go in because God's glory was so intense and still is. We need to pause to try to get a sense of the magnitude of God's majesty and glory. Remember how God responds after Israel made their first offering in the new tabernacle? Leviticus 9.24 consumed the sacrifices, fire and glory. God wants to be with his people. He outlines specific ways how to be. His holiness, though, is not to be tampered with or taken lightly. This story of the tabernacle gives us a glimpse of God's glory, his eternal, all-powerful, absolutely holy and glorious uh, presence. God wants a relationship with us and wants us to be able to dwell with him. For those who have faith and repentance in the coming deliverer in God's way, we can have a restored relationship here and now while we live on this earth. And God's word tells us we will be in God's glorious presence in heaven for eternity one day. How amazing is that? Who wouldn't want that? But it does take a price to be paid. That's death as we see in the sacrificial system. The shedding of blood faith in God's way of providing redemption. This word atonement needs to take place. Will we trust God's plan? Will we come God's way? The tabernacle was a teaser of God's deliverer and how that rescue would be so much sweeter. Now today, knowing who God's deliverer is, we can even still further be excited with more that we still yet do not see. That's heaven, you guys. 
zero barriers whatsoever once we're there. There's more to come for those who believe and have faith in God's rescuer. Oh, just imagine it, to see him face to face in his complete glory. So even like with the Israelites, um, God, God's presence was there in a special way. Uh, it would be overwhelming, and, and it should overwhelm us today again as we think of just how awesome and glorious the one true God is. Can you believe the lengths that he goes to in order to draw sinners into his embrace? God uses Israel and Canaan, the promised land, as an example of his heart for every last one of us. Let's read one last verse as God lays out his heart for us. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God has set life and death before us, life in the present, as well as life that will last for all of eternity. And believe it or not, he pleads for each of us to choose his life. We choose eternal life when we repent of our sin and put our trust in the deliverer to provide it. Will you? God's presence among his chosen people. God wants his presence among us today. He's made a way. With the Israelites in this account, he has a tabernacle, he creates a system of sacrifices, uh, priests, mediators, go-betweens, all as a foreshadowing of what we now know from the New Testament. How special is this, you guys, that God would come down, not only then, but now, so that we could have a relationship with him. Thanks for listening. I hope this went all right, a little bit clunky, but um, yeah, be blessed. Have a good week. Keep in touch. Uh, Let's close in prayer, and uh, we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you desire relationship with us, that you pursue us, that you are relational, that you came to dwell among us. Lord, we just pray that these truths would just continue to rest in our hearts as we go forward this week. May we have peace in you as we walk and commune with you, as we just wash our thinking with uh, the Bible, as we read your word. God bless all those um, who were able to come and listen tonight and, and those who couldn't, Lord. Just uh, may your comfort be among everybody, Lord, and may we be a blessing to those around us in this time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.